What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to episode 10 Going All In on Real Estate with Gino Barbro. So, guys, welcome to uh, this uh, podcast. We're very excited to talk with uh, today's speaker. Uh, Gino, welcome. Thank you, guys. How you doing, Frank and Jim? Oh, this is doing awesome. pretty well. We're really excited to have you today. I think uh, that folks are going to really be able to connect with this one because you've been able to build a, a sizable real estate portfolio, um, but it all started with trying to chase that financial freedom. So for those of you that don't know who Gino is, let me just cut him off before he even starts here. Gino and his partner, Jake, have written a best-selling book called Wheelbarrow Profits, uh, these guys have interviewed Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, and all the big players in real estate. And uh, they also have an awesome podcast themselves, and they control over 1,100 units. Amazing. Are you guys higher than that now? That's the last time I noticed. We are. We're actually I just doing the count today. Well, you know, once you get over 1,000 units, I told my partner, and everyone asks me, what goals do you have? What goals do you have? How many units do you want to hit? I, I'm honest with you. I don't really care how many more units I buy as long as I can help other people buy. We're at 1,437 units, by the way. I asked Jake today because wow. we got to keep updating it. So we're, we're closing on a deal this Friday. I mean, it's from it was from a humble 25-unit property six years ago. Um, could we have gotten quicker, bigger? Probably because we just started syndicating in November of last year. So the, the majority of our assets, a thousand units is just myself, Jake and a partner. We've been able to refinance about $10 million of the proceeds from those assets and roll them into uh, the next deal. Um, and the last two deals we've done, the last two big deals, we've decided to syndicate and see what the big, big hoopla about syndication is. And let me tell you, syndication is an awesome strategy. It's one of the tools in the toolbox to get in the multifamily. You either syndicate, you partner yourself, you did a, you do a little bit of, uh, you know, raising money for other deals. You can do a little creative financing. There's so many ways to get into multifamily and multifamily is a business everybody don't kid yourself it's not real estate it's really growing that business that's great yes uh, so it's funny you say that about syndication because i'm actually taking a class with somebody that you interviewed on a recent podcast uh jonathan twombly oh yes i like jonathan great yeah, guy. i was i was down in brooklyn uh a few weeks ago uh taking one of his master classes about it awesome so first question i have for you is what did you do before real estate you know, funny, I uh, was in New York. Um, I left the great state of New York um, in June of 2017. Didn't think I would ever do that. With the last name like Barbaro to get away from the Italian family, I thought it would never happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, they, you, what, what did the Godfather say? I got out, but they pulled me back in. Well, this time they, they didn't pull me back in, right? Um, and it's funny because you can see the migration flows out of the blue states. And I just saw that coming and I wanted to get out of New York. I hated the weather. I hated the taxes. I hated everything about the place except for the people, my family. And I had a restaurant for over 20 years. I had the restaurant. Um, it was with my father and my brother. It was a family place. Um, you know, and I, as I told you off air, I loved it for the first 10 or 15 years. And once the Great Recession came, I mean, it really affected a lot of businesses. You know, the Internet came into play. Things started shifting. And I had the mindset while I was in the restaurant, because I was I was trained that way from my dad, you have to stay small, you've got to be there every day. We didn't have systems. And ironically enough, after I left the restaurant and got into multifamily, how do you go from, you know, one restaurant in 20 something years to, you know, 1400 units in six years? It's really a mind shift. It's really partnering with amazing people. It's really implementing systems. And as you grow, try to get more and more uncomfortable and try to continue to learn. And that, that's really the difference between one and the other. I didn't I didn't view the restaurant as a scalable business, whereas multifamily family to me is much, much more scalable. 
So what do you think helped you in that that mind shift that occurred from leaving the restaurant industry to scaling your multifamily business? It was one thing. I went to life coaching school. I became a certified life coach because I wanted the personal development. And back in 2014, I was, I was struggling. I wanted to know what my why was. You know, everyone can say, yeah, it's my family. I've got six kids. I'm trying to make more money. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're having a rough day, you can stop the multifamily and go back to the restaurant. And I, I thought in my mind, if I could figure out what my why was, you know, what juiced me, what's my sole purpose here on this planet? It's not to pay the bills. I thought at one point it's to pay the bills. And if, if we're living life to pay the bills and we're not really have a really fulfilling life. So for me, once I went to life coaching school, I got my certification, worked on the personal development. I figured out what, what my why was. My why was to become financially free and then really to start Jake and Gino and start coaching and start helping people become financially free. And there's so much gratification from it. I get that, that dopamine effect when you get an email from somebody saying, hey, you know, you just helped me take this deal down. Or like you said, Jim, you, you, you're talking to somebody, you go, I know that guy, Gino, he does a great podcast. He's helping me out. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much juice to that. That makes my day so fulfilling. I'd rather do that than go out and buy another 20 or 30 unit deal. That, that brings more joy to me than anything else. I always say, I've been saying lately that profit is the fuel. It's not the destination. And when you become financially free, you're not really worrying about that next paycheck. You're worrying about helping others. And the more people you help, the more units you buy, the more tenants you can help, the more money you're going to make ultimately. That's, that's the weird thing in life, you know? I'm loving this because besides all this energy that I'm feeling, uh, me with my background in education, I feel the same way. I actually, I mm -hmm. teach a bonus class that's called Boost, and we're trying to boost the kids in one way or another. And how do I boost them? I'm actually teaching them about stocks and finance and business and real estate and everything right now. That's awesome. You know? So the one step ahead is uh, as Jimmy and I are growing this, we plan on doing more what you guys are doing. You know, Yeah, and I love I love the one liner that profit is the fuel, right? It, it so, really is because you know when you're when you're paying the bills and like I was, you know, I, I'm I'm pregnant, my wife's pregnant, we're having our sixth kid, and everyone's saying to me, "Hey, how are you going to pay for college? Hey, how are you going to pay for all these weddings?" And that's what everyone's focusing on. They're not focusing on, "Hey, you know, let's grow your income and let's start buying assets and let's start saving money." This is the biggest mind shift for me is when I got rid of the Dave Ramsey mindset of saving money for a, a, an event instead of replacing and saving money to buy an asset and let that asset pay for the event. So when the event is over, like a college or like a wedding, you still have that asset to continue to pay you. So that was one of the biggest mind shifts for me was, you know, Italian guy, I have immigrant parents, you got to save every penny you got and, you know, have that scarcity mindset. Whereas, you know what? Instead, be the entrepreneur, be the farmer, start planting those seeds. It's going to take a long time for those plants to grow, but you got to keep watering them and you got to keep going with that. And that's the hard thing about multifamily. It's not a short game. It's not transactions where you're going to get paid two or three months later. It might take you 18 months to refi it properly. But when you refi that property, you're going to get hooked and it's going to be like, wow, let me continue to repeat and, you know, do this over and over again. It's funny you say that because I have uh, like the good uh, angel and the bad angel on my shoulders. And I have like Robert Kiyosaki on one side and Dave Ramsey on the other, always chatting back and forth. And I love yes. both of them. Yes. And they're, they're both so different. Yes. And they're appropriate. One of, them is, one of them is appropriate for one situation. One's appropriate for the other. There's a lot of people out there that fear and they can never get by. And it's probably better for them to actually do the Dave Ramsey. Let's talk about Dave Ramsey for 30 seconds. There's nothing wrong with an emergency fund to have a thousand bucks set aside. There's nothing wrong to have three to six months of money put on the side. There's nothing wrong to try to pay down your debt. Stop after that. 
You don't need to start putting money into a 401k where you're going to have money locked away for the next 30 years. You don't need to save for retirement. You need to save money to buy assets. You need to save money to reinvest in yourself because unfortunately, Dave Ramsey did not become rich by investing in mutual funds. He became rich by creating a business. So that's what people have to understand. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, all he's trying to say is just try to become financially educated. If you can educate yourself in any vehicle, whether it's whole life, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whatever that vehicle is, find a vehicle you like, learn about that vehicle, and then start taking it for a ride. I mean, fortunately for us on the call, real estate is one of those best vehicles. You've got so many different benefits in the real estate space that you can take advantage of. That's why we've chosen real estate. Absolutely. So, you know, I know one of the big things for you is that is family, obviously, and you have six kids. Um, have you started to introduce your kids to real estate at all, or do they ask you questions about it? Um, they actually had my daughter's first, my oldest daughter is 19. She is more into the, uh, she's going to school. She's getting a philosophy major and she's doing awesome. youth ministry. So she's doing great. She loves that. She loves doing that. But I told her, I said, Gabs, guess what? You're going to be sell. You're going to be selling because if you want people to come over to Jesus, you know what? No margin, no mission. You know what I mean? You need to get people to come over. It's just the same thing. Life is all about negotiation and sales. So it's there's a skill set. So you've got to come. You've got to learn with me how to actually become a salesperson, how to present your side of the story, how you're offering people the opportunity of Jesus coming into your lives, right? That's one way to look at it. My son is 16 years old. He's actually coming with me Wednesday morning. We're going up to Jacksonville. We're meeting a broker and we're going to go out on a broker tour with a couple of properties. So he's doing that. He's coming to our live boot camps that we teach our students, and he's he's going through the training, and he's also working with me. So I, I want to present it to them. I want them to actually be around the business. I want them to love it. I don't want to shove it down their throats. I want them to actually partake in, in as much as they want or as little as they want to do. My job as a parent, and I think our jobs as parents out there are to give them a safe, you know, comfortable, safe, uh, you know, happy environment so they can flourish and if they ever have any problems they come to me and you know as they become adults you need to let them go you need to make their own decisions but at the same time um i want them to really love this business i don't want to force it upon them i, I love this uh, i have three kids myself and uh my two girls are both girl scouts for the sales aspect yes <laughs> girl scout cookie sales and they're amazing at it uh-huh. and like my oldest we actually had a cash flow game night event and uh my daughter wanted to go and she played and she had experience and she was teaching other adults on how to play uh, cash flow one-on-one, stuff like that. That is awesome. You She's that, 12. Yeah, that's a great game. My daughter's 13 and, and, and the, you know, the cash flow one-on-one with the income statement, the balance sheet, just that aspect of it, for them to understand inflows and outflows of capital and for them to understand what a deal is and how you use leverage and how you use debt and all debt is not bad. Personal yeah. debt is bad. If you can lever your business debt for your personal debt, you know more than the average adult. So that's really Absolutely. important for them to start out and not to be afraid of using credit cards. As long as you pay them off every month, you're getting a 60 day free, you know, free, free, inf- uh, free interest payment on that. Just be wise with that. You know, so I think that's an awesome way to start kids on, on education and finance. Most definitely. So uh, your first deal, why don't you tell us about this uh, first? Uh, I think you said 25 units. Was that your first deal? It was with Jake. It was back in February of 2013. I'll give you a 30 second background on it. Jake moves down to Knoxville, Tennessee from New York. And I had known Jake, met Jake at the restaurant. He was a pharmaceutical rep selling vaccines. I said, I like this guy. He comes into the uh, restaurant. He comes prepared. I know where he's got when he needs lunches. So he said, you know what? I'm out of New York. I'm going down to a place that's no state income tax, decent weather. I can get back up to New York if I if I have to to come see the family. Um, low quality of life. He ends up in either he was going to either go to Dallas, Texas, 
Tennessee or Florida. So he ends up in Tennessee and Knoxville. It was just, for me, it was an amazing thing because I love that market. It's a great multifamily market. So he lands there in 2011. We're looking at deals for 18 months. It takes us 18 months to actually find a deal. I had capital. It's just, it took a while to connect. I mean, with Estenziano and Barbaro in Tennessee, you know, y'all ain't doing business down here. You know what I mean? It was a little <laughs> difficult in the beginning. So we found the first deal. It was on LoopNet back then. Uh, it was a mom and pop. <laughs> And uh, it was great. It was a weekly renters. It was a great learning experience for us. Uh, we actually bought it with owner financing. I had my brother on that first deal as a partner. So it was just that proof of concept. We knew we could do it if we got our first deal. And like I said, you know, after 18 months, most people will quit. They'll be like, it's not for me. But I, we just stuck in there. We hung in there. Jake wanted to get out of the vaccine business, and I just wanted to get out of the restaurant business. So was this because of uh, experience and networking that took you so long? Because it's not the top of the market like it is now. Yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah the market is always different. So back then, um, it was harder to get financing. Uh, there, okay. you know, if, you, if you want to go through syndication five, six years ago, that wasn't the rage back then. So you weren't raising money like you are now. And and just back then, it just what you don't know, you don't know. I, I had done some coaching with, with a couple of the programs and it just took us a long time. For me, I was underwriting deals. You know, your first deal, you, it's scared, you're scared, right? You don't know what Absolutely. you're looking at. And after that first deal, that's why I always tell people, do your first deal. Three months after the first deal, we close on our second deal. And then six months after that's the awesome. second deal, we close on the third deal. So, you know, it just takes time. I mean, it takes time it takes time to learn the market it takes time actually the other thing was jake uh took a couple months off because he ended up buying a house so in that meanwhile he ends up burning most of his capital then he gets back on the horse so there's a lot of things that happened then um it was it was it was uh hard for me because i was not in the market he was there so he didn't know as much in the very beginning you know it took him a couple months to actually scale up to learn how to talk to brokers to learn how to network and he's working full-time at the same time so there was a few things that slowed us down but once we bought that first deal we were all in you know the, the turning point for jake was when he went and collected rent that first month and he collected cash, which I recommend nobody to do. But that first <laughs> month, everyone yeah. paid cash. He's a tubby W two guy. He puts all his money out on the desk. He's like, dude, I'm done. Everyone's. I've never been paid money before in my life. He's like, he was hooked. That was it for him. I know what you mean with the partnerships. Uh, my first partner was uh, stuck on analysis paralysis for uh, a long time, and then finally, between the two of us, we were able to break him through, and we picked up three or four deals the first year. That's awesome, and that's a that's hard that, that that's a hard thing to to reconcile because there is fear. There's a lot of fear. You just need to. You know, I'll give you an example. When I came down to Florida, just do this, everybody. Put down a list of pros and cons. You know, when I moved here to Florida, there were a lot of pros. Yeah, I'm moving near the beach. Quality of life is better. Cost of living is cheaper. Um, I, I just you know I just love living down here. The people are nicer. The tax situation. Those are the pros. Put the cons. The cons are I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving comfort. So my pros far away the cons. So that's when you take a chance. And what's the worst thing that can happen if you buy a deal or you move somewhere and it doesn't work? You can always move back, run back up to New York with your tail between your legs and say, hey, you know what? I messed up. I'm going to start all over again. The the flip side is if you never try something and then 10 years later, you're bitter and you never did something. So weigh that against well, that one option against the other. And I'm sure you'll always end up doing the right thing. So uh, let's see. You're actively looking right now. Is that correct? We are always. I love it. I, that, I, and, and that's right. 100% the right response because some people will say, well, no, I'm not keeping an eye on the market, but you always have to keep looking. 
Well, in, especially in this market, uh, Jim, you know, because in this market, the problem is you're going to need to at least look or, un or underwrite at least 80 deals to find a deal in this market. So if you're only looking at three or four deals a week, guess what? It's going to take you 20 weeks to find a deal. That's just the reality of it because and, you need to constantly look at deals. And, and just so everybody can hear that again, what was the number they used? It was 80. It's 80. I mean, our coaches come out about 80 deals. And that's not that, that doesn't mean you need to get in a car and go physically look at every deal. But you need to be getting deals from brokers, getting deals from off-market, getting deals from property management companies, looking at deals on LoopNet, actually going through the numbers and underwriting the numbers. And when you get better and you become an expert at it, that, that number might cut down. It'll, it'll, it'll definitely cut down because I'll weed out a lot of deals. I can look at, you know. A per door cost of a, pro a unit, I can look at the expenses and go, this deal makes no sense, or I don't like the area of it. But when you first start out, you need to work on, you know, underwriting those deals. And I have a lot of students that'll tell me, you know what, this deal just fell in my lap. I'm like, no, no, hold on, J JP, the deal doesn't fall in your lap. You've been working on it for the last six months, and you've been networking with brokers, and you've been talking to brokers, and you've been putting in LOIs, and you've been telling them why this deal doesn't work. And that's how you build rapport. And then those deals are going to come back to you. And, you know, Jim, the other thing that you mentioned was people are saying, I'm I'm gonna wait till the market tops out to get educated, or I'm gonna wait till I have some money for a down payment. That is the worst thing you could possibly think of because you will never have enough money for a down payment. You can go back, read real estate books for the last 40, 50 years. 50 years ago, they were complaining about you know buying a house for $25,000. I don't know, down payment for yep. two grand. It's that's always a story. It's the, the lack of money has been around since the since, since the recording of time, right? I think Absolutely. the other thing was you need to know. As far as you're educated, you need to actually focus on a specific market and build teams in that market. As you're doing that, when the market corrects, you'll be able to actually get some deals. If you're waiting for the market to correct, guess what? Gino, Jim, and Frank are in that market. We're getting those deals because we have those relationships. If you're starting when the market you think is crashing, you're not even going to know when it crashes because you're not educated. You don't know the four market cycles. But if you haven't started, the three of us are going to get, be getting those deals, not the guy who's coming in late at the party. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. you're absolutely right. But and one of the big takeaways from what you just said is this is something that Frank and I harp on all the time is that real estate investing is a team sport. You, you got to go out, you got to build a team <clears throat> and whether it be in your own local market or in a market that you're interested in, you have to put in the work and build that team because that is going to lead to your success. I love that. That is 100% true. And team members. Let's talk about team members for 30 seconds. I think the biggest team member you can have is probably a coach or mentor. That's the first guy you will ever need to actually start out your education because, you know, you either pay to play or you seek to serve. It's one of those two, right? You either go out and you pay for your education like I did, or you go out and you do some grunt work and your boots on the ground and you learn that way. So that's probably Absolutely. one of the most important guys when you first start out with. The next one is you need a real estate broker, you need a property management company, you need an inspector, you need a title company, you need a CPA, you need an attorney. These are all people that you need on your team in that market. That's why if you're focusing on three or four different markets, in the beginning, especially if you're a novice, it's going to be really hard to build those teams up. And if you have, you're talking to 17 different brokers in four different markets, it's going to be hard for you to analyze and focus because what you focus on grows. So if you've chosen a market, you've done a ton of work, and you, for instance, pick Knoxville, Tennessee, you're going to go in there. You're going to start meeting all the real estate brokers. You're going to fly in, do some, you know, do some property tours with them. Get on their list, start doing the property tours, start asking who the property management companies out there and start talking to the property management companies because you know what? They're the ones who have deals also. And you know what? Title companies have deals also and bankers have deals also and mortgage brokers have deals. So if you, the more people you can put on that team, the easier it is going to be for you to get deals and to actually scale up in the business. I know what you right. mean because uh, Jim, right now, we won't mention the city, but uh, 
he actually is building connections and contacts in a Midwestern city. That's great. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's huge for us. So uh, I think those are some great golden nuggets that you just dropped. What's funny, too, is like we have uh, a lot of uh, couples that we're uh, training and coaching right now. And like one of them bought their first house and they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to hold off for a year before we start looking for another one. It's like, no, they're house hacking the first one. It's a three family. It's uh-huh. like you need to be out there every single week. Continue to look at stuff. And they're like, well, we don't have any money. I said, if you find a deal, we'll buy it from you. Get out there and look. And, that's uh, right. Working on that. That's an awesome. That's an awesome idea. Because you know what? If they find the deal, their value is in the deal. If they can lock that deal up, they can go out and they can get partners to partner. That's one of the things that I had. See, the problem is that a lot of us come from a scarcity mindset. We want to have the whole pie. So instead of having part of the pie, we'd rather have the whole pie. But at the end of the day, you don't have any of the pie because you can't buy the deal. So I'd rather have 20% of a deal and share it with Jake and another partner and then be able to, you know what? I love this podcast. Let me grow a podcast in an education business. And you know what? We can do a property management business on the side of that. And you know what? Let's start a syndication business where we can actually start, you know, raising money from investors and create a little asset management fee there and a little acquisition fee. And they have that little business. And you know what? Let's start doing mortgages, too. So from a 25 unit property, you can actually start creating tons and tons of multiple streams of revenue from that one business. If you get in, get rid of that scarcity mindset and you're willing to share that pie and you're willing to take on some partners. Jimmy, didn't you start with uh, three business ideas on some wall one day? Yeah. So so that, that's a fun part of my story. But I can remember when I was house hacking my first four family in the Darlington neighbor, neighborhood of Pawtucket, Rhode Island, losing the Rhode Island accent on that one. Um, I woke up one morning and I had the idea for three businesses. One was a wholesale business. Mm-hmm. The second was um, my holding company for the multis that I was going to buy. And the third was my property management business. And on my Facebook newsfeed, every November it comes up and it's nostalgic, but that was me laying the groundwork for what I own today. And it's an amazing thing. Like I truly believe in, you know, visualizing what you want to build. Um, and that's been pivotal to my success. And that's awesome. So then you can continue to to lever that. And let's say you want to bring on a realtor who's got a license. They can do a realtor can bring on his license. You can start a little realty, a little brokerage, let's say. <laughs> that's want, next. You, yeah. So, you, so that's you, really good. That's that's some good foreshadowing. Uh, we didn't talk about this at all, but that was that was the first meeting I had at 10 a.m. this morning. That's so, awesome. And let's start, let's, start the, let's start the little fix and flip business, right? Because you could start right. fixing and flipping with somebody. And let's start about the private money business where you're lending money to private investors. And let's start the little construction company. We have a little CapEx crew going out and doing this work for you. And then all of a sudden, you're going to do the work for the you know multis out there. And you know what? If you want a little plumber, a little electrician business on the side where you get somebody with a truck, services all your stuff, and does your CapEx stuff. And on top of that, you're, you're starting to build. And you can see it, it's, it's endless. And what's beautiful about it is they're all interrelated. They're all part of that one business. I'm not talking about doing a carpet cleaning company and 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 doing something that's not related. All these businesses are interrelated and they'll all begin to feed each other, which is really exciting. It really it's, yeah. it's it's awesome. And and that's a lot of the cool things that we're starting my my partner in the property management business and I are starting to realize that the fact that you can bolt on these auxiliary companies that serve yeah. a dual purpose and help not only the investors that we service, but help ourselves continue to grow and, and build that brand. It's been a tremendous opportunity. So Jim, what I want you to do, this is your action step. What I want you to do is this call. I want <laughs> you to write down how many str- how many streams of revenue you have right now today. And then one year from now, 
go back or six months from now, go back and see how many you have. Because back in February 2013, I had three streams of revenue. I had my restaurant business, which was one income. I had a fourplex, which was uh, I owned in New York. And I had a little $25,000 owner's note. That's all I had in February 2013. This year, right now, I've got 23 different streams of revenue coming from anywhere from $500 a year all the way up to $10,000 a month. And that's, you know, talking about investment properties, a little mortgage business, a syndication business. I have a couple of limited partnership deals. It's amazing what you can do once you start stacking it on. And you really need to be diligent and all that excess capital you make, you need to continue to reinvest. And once you continue to reinvest that and you get another little layer of income and a little stream of income, put that stream of income on the side, save that extra capital and put it into another deal and just put it into another deal. Before you know it, those streams of revenue are going to become a raging river. I'm telling you, it's exciting. Yeah. Really. So the, the biggest thing you brought up there is reinvesting the income. Yep. A lot of folks get started out and they get that first income property and they think that gross income is net income when it's mm-hmm. not, right? <laughs> yes, so yes. first quickly figure out what your net income is, but that net income needs to be reinvested. And Frank has been phenomenal at that. So Frank, it, I don't it, know if you want to touch base. Yeah, Frank, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, you need to be really, really, uh, it's got to become a habit, right? It needs to be a muscle and people <laughs> don't want to do that. And you know, it's called the Diderot effect. The Diderot effect is basically as you continue to earn more income, your spending goes up and people have to be really careful. Kiyosaki talks about it. Just because you earn more money at your job doesn't, uh, doesn't allow you to go buy a better car or buy a bigger house. That's what most people do. But the person who's really successful, they can delay that instant gratification. That's what us as parents really need to teach our kids. If you can delay that gratification, put it off to the side and reinvest that money, then all of a sudden that money grows and then that money grows and that grows. I think, Frank, if you're doing that, that's kudos to you because a lot of people can't do that. Absolutely. So, I'll take the Warren Buffett approach. I, uh, I, I joked that number one, I hashtagged that uh, millionaires drive Camrys. And uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Also, I'll, I'll uh, interject on that one. I swear all of uh, my wealthiest clients, and I haven't confirmed this with balance sheets or income statements, but all my wealthiest clients drive Toyotas. <laughs> no word of a lie. Around here. <laughs> yeah, in, in Rhode Island. Well, you know, it's funny because um, one of my partners, he's really wealthy, the, the other the other partner, Mike, and he you know, he says to me, I, I, I use him as a mentor. I mean, I got him back in our, in our business in February 2013 with Jake and myself, and, you know, he says vacations and cars are luxuries. Those are something that, you know, that's something that you don't go off. I mean, the guy can write a, he can, he can buy any kind of car he wants and he's out there buying pre-owned stuff. And instead of paying a hundred grand for a car, he'll pay 52,000 for it, pays all cash. And I, I, I follow that mantra too. I mean, if I can't buy a car, write a check, I'm not going to buy one right now because I don't need that extra payment. You have three cars. Each car is a $500 payment. There goes 1500 bucks a month out of your pocket, 18 grand a year that you can't reinvest. And it's over your head and it's a liability and it's depreciating. You might as well just write it off. Just pay the whole thing if you can, and then just just continue. Uh, you know, whatever money would be going in that goes into your savings, and continue to reinvest that. Yeah, absolutely. And then just circling back to the point that you made about, you know, one of the things that Robert Kiyosaki talks about is as you make more money in your corporate job, it doesn't mean you always have to spend more money. And that was one of the big things in my life before I became a corporate dropout. I was in the financial services industry for a while, but you know, at 26 years old, I caught a 40 percent increase before I eventually moved into my last role. And honestly, I banked all that income. That's awesome. I didn't spend an extra dollar because I knew that I wanted to set myself up in order to move full-time into real estate. And I was growing the company, but it wasn't there yet. And I can remember the guys 
the guys that I was working with, they're like, hey, you just got a fat increase. Are you going to go out and buy a new car? <laughs> no, I'm driving the same one. I'm banking it. Either I'm going to buy more real estate or, or I'm going to build that nest egg. So when I do make the transition to real estate, at least I have something to fall back on a little bit. Yeah, that is great. So, Gino, we know that uh, we've all made mistakes in real estate. What do you consider your biggest mistake in real estate so far? I've made a lot of mistakes. I think the biggest mistake that I want everyone on this call to avoid is there's two words. And I think the two words are really important for life also, whether you're marrying a spouse, whether you're buying a deal. And those two words are due diligence. You really need to vet whatever it is, whether you're partnering as a, as a, as a passive investor, you want to vet the sponsor, whether you're buying a deal from somebody, whether you're investing with another partnership. You really need to do due diligence. And that means to go fly down to the property, take a look at the property, look at the financials, trust but verify. And, you know, my first couple of deals, uh, I didn't do that on my first mobile home park. It came back to bite me in the butt. And, I'm, you know, the, the other thing was that, that, that I made a huge mistake on was the due diligence, but also not being educated enough. I bought something in New York about 12 years ago, which was one of my worst investments ever. And it wasn't because of the timing of the market, although that didn't help. It was I didn't know the market. I wasn't educated enough. I didn't know the, the, the real estate niche that I was in it was a mixed use building. I think the demographics of, of the market was up in Dutchess County, New York. It was terrible. There was no rent growth. There was no job growth. People didn't want to have offices outside their house. I didn't know any of this stuff. So it wasn't the asset that was bad because anything, you can buy anything at the right price. And right. I overpaid and I bought on actuals, which is good. But when the economy tanked, this thing is not, it's not recovered up there because everyone's leaving New York. If you're going to be in New York, you've got to be near the city. And this thing was too far from the city for any type of appreciation. So, or cash flow. So, I mean, that's, Two of the biggest things you need to do your due diligence and you really need to be educated upon the uh, upon the asset that you're investing in. I love the due diligence comment because uh, as I tell Jimmy, every, I have uh, quite a few LLCs and partnerships, et cetera. And I joke that every partnership is like is like a, a marriage. And uh, obviously, um, so, for example, I have every partner. I've known them for at least a year before I join a partnership with them. Mm -hmm. But still, you're connected to these people. If they screw up, you're in trouble. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, Wheelbarrow Profits is uh, is the book that you guys wrote. Is there anything that you would recommend for another book for people to read right now? Maybe something you're reading or just something you'd recommend that if they haven't read yet to actually get out there and read. Wow. So, I mean, I, I've been, I, I read a lot. So I'm, I'm looking to think and grow rich right now on my desk by Napoleon Hill. There you um, go. I'm reading a book right now. I've read, it's called Atomic Habits by James <laughs> Clear. I love, love that book. You don't Frank recommended that to me this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, I read it a couple months ago. I mean, I'm a habit guy. That's what life coaching is all about. And you know what? It's funny. You, you want to set goals. You have to learn about a lot of things before you just go out and set a goal. You have to know, learn about, you know, why are you setting that goal? I mean, it's, you know, goal is not the is the, is is the outcome right but we're all fixed on the outcome you have to you have to fall in love with the system or the process to hit that goal and and what is that multifamily let's talk about that for 10 seconds the system of finding deals in multifamily getting the 30 units is networking underwriting 
getting out there, getting educated, if you can fall over those processes, that outcome will eventually happen for you. So, you know, the environment is important. That's why you do these podcasts. That's why you join masterminds. That's why you go out and you do meetups. That's really important. And ultimately, you need to identify as a multifamily investor. If you're identifying as a W-2 guy, it's going to be a lot harder for you to take that shift and to become a multifamily investor. So once I became, you know, I began identifying as a multifamily investor and, and not as that chef in the kitchen, you know, things really took off for me. You're going to laugh, but I literally have Atomic Habits in my hand right now. It just came in the mail from Amazon. This um, You're going to love it. You're, you're going to love it. Seriously, it's a great book. And I think one more book I'd like everyone to read is the book Leaders Eat Last uh, oh, by Simon Sinek. I mean, I just finished reading it. I mean, it was a great it was a great book. I'm not a science guy. So the fact that I can understand what you know, dopamine is and endorphins and oxytocin and serotonin, I can understand them and how the brain works because I'm always trying to see how why some people are successful, and why some people aren't and how we can break that break bad habits and create good habits. Um, it's it's worth reading the book for that. Leaders eat last. Yep. I wrote that yep. down. Awesome. I haven't heard of that one, so I'll check it out. So uh, let's see. We're starting to get near the end here. Uh, one of the other major questions that we always ask is, uh, say you're a 20-something-year-old kid right now. What would you recommend? What's one major thing you would recommend that they do right now, every day or once a week or whatever, to become a better investor, especially if they have like no knowledge at all about real estate? Well, the first thing I would love to see a 20-something-year-old do is try to get rid of as much debt as possible. Because I think debt nowadays is the new form of slavery. I, I don't want to make anything politically incorrect, but I think with all the debt that children have nowadays and millennials, I call them millennials and I call them children because, you know, my, my kid's almost 20 years old. And, you know, if you have debt, the problem with debt, it really steals away your ability to make a decision. I mean, if you're a young woman who's 27 years old and wants to start having kids, but she's got $200,000 of debt and has to, you know, work as a lawyer, that that take that robs your ability to, to, to make that decision. If you're a young guy, who wants to buy a house, but he's got $150,000 in student debt, you, you can't do that. Or you want to leave your job and do what Jim did and go into real estate full time, you're going to have to put that off because you've got other responsibilities. So I think really take a look at your balance sheet really strongly. And be, before you become an investor, take care of your personal balance sheet. Take a personal inventory of what's going on in your life because what's going to happen is once you become an investor, you need to be really diligent about what's going on with the multifamily business as far as income coming in, expenses going out, you know, what your cash statement of cash flows is going on. You need to have a firm grasp on that on your personal life to be able to transition that into your business life. Does that make sense? It's very powerful. Um, yeah. I'm always thinking about good debt versus bad debt. And I know um, there's an argument with college loans if that's good or bad debt. But the, the big thing is that you don't have to choose that big expensive school depending on what kind of job you have. Very rarely, unless you're looking at the top leagues of like certain diplomas or degrees, do you really need to be at that top um, sixty dollars or $70,000 per year school? I, I, I agree with that. I mean, it depends on what children want to go to school for. Um, when you're that young, it's really hard to even know what you want because I'm telling right. you, until I was 43 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to become. So I just tell my kids I want them to get a, a basic business background. I want them to know you know, financial statements. I want them to be able to balance checkbooks. I want them to be able to look at at you know at investments and say this makes sense or this doesn't make sense and after that if you know what you want to do when you're 18 or 19 or 20 years old go to school and learn it but please don't take on that that super you know super high debt where all of a sudden like I said four years later you've got eighty thousand dollars in student debt and you're only making thirty two thousand dollars a year job that's not a good ROI in my estimation. 
I see it with tenants all the time. I had a tenant a couple of years ago. She went to Boston University, had $150,000 in student loans uh, wow. to, be, to be an accountant. And uh, she didn't have a job in the accounting field. She was bartending. Oh, man. We hope that you guys enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast. In the meantime, if you really enjoyed this episode, if you could give us a share to Facebook or share it with a friend that really helped us out, um, feel free to check out our website at www.cashflowkings.com and give us a follow on Instagram under The Cashflow Kings. Here's to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.